these guys. What in the world? <laughs> There's a big hole here. I'm, I can just see myself tripping over, breaking a leg. Wouldn't be the first time. Um, hey, we are in Isaiah 29 tonight. Uh, we, uh, we started last week, we got, finally got out of that um, section we'd been in for a while, and now we've gotten into another section where Isaiah is, is pronouncing some um, judgments and woes on uh, some of the neighboring countries, but mainly uh, on Israel, um, and talking about their future as well as, uh, you know, some of the rough things that are going to be coming their way. Before we get into it, though, I, I, uh, I was talking with a guy the other day at the hardware store, of all places, and, and uh, I walked in on the conversation, actually, and just kind of got swept up in the middle of it, but he was, he was going over the, the standard, um, you know, I've, I'm closer to God on my motorcycle than I've ever been in, my, in a church, and... Uh, uh, or in my deer stand, or on my fishing boat, or what, you know, you've probably all heard some version of that. <clears throat> and then, uh, then he hit me with this one I'd never heard before, that church is uh, full of self-righteous, judgmental hypocrites. I was like, wow, that's, no one's ever said that one. Uh, and what cracked me up, though, is I, he couldn't see the possibility that he was being self-righteous and judgmental by saying churches are full of self-righteous and judgmental people. Then I realized, oh, now I'm being judgmental because I'm judging him for judging, you know. But the, the big thing, though, is we, we talked about uh, hypocrites, and I, I talked with my, uh, my son about this here recently, too. And, uh, you know, hi- uh, hypocrites are everywhere. I think it's safe to say, and and I'll I'll be I'll admit right right now that I am a hypocrite. Uh, you know the uh, Jesus kind of coined that phrase. The word was around uh, before Jesus' earthly ministry, but a hypocrite was an actor who used a mask, right? And so they could uh, in this scene they'd use this mask, and then in the next scene they'd use another mask, right? so they would be another person. And I think all of us have times where we put on a mask, right? You probably behave a little bit differently at home than you do at work. Uh, if you don't, you're probably going to get fired soon, would be my guess, you know. But we all wear masks in some way. And so this guy, I, I wish I the story ended with, and then he gave his life to the Lord that day in the aisle in the hardware store. It didn't quite go that way, but I did let him know, that, hey, you are in good company because Jesus had a problem with hypocrites. You know, that's why we use that word, and I explained it to him. And, uh, so anyway, so this message tonight, this, is, uh, this one's for the hypocrites. Uh, we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you uh, for allowing us to get here tonight uh, safely and to be able to worship and fellowship. Um, we just pray that you'd bless the message, that uh, it, we know your word always accomplishes what you want it to. It never comes back void, but we just pray, Lord, that uh, it, would, it would reach those that it needs to reach and that 
eyes would be open, hearts would be softened, and, and lives would be changed. We pray that we leave here today just knowing you a little bit better, being a little bit closer to you uh, than we were when we got here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Isaiah 29, verse 1, he says, Woe, O Ariel, Ariel, the city where David once camped. Add year to year, observe your feasts on schedule. So this is the first time we've seen that word, Ariel, right? He's not talking about the Little Mermaid or anything. This, is a, this was a place. And this word, it, it, it's a little bit interesting because back then, you know, in, in Hebrew, they don't really use vowels, so it's, words can have multiple meanings basically based on how um, they're emphasized and where they lie in the sentence and that sort of thing. So there's basically, there's a couple different meanings of this word Ariel. Uh, one, it can be a lion of God, right? That's a cool sounding uh, definition. It can be um, a burning altar or an altar hearth, right? So the, the spot next to the fireplace that, you know, where you can get warm. And so those are, those are very different meanings, but um, he says that, O oh, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David once camped. And there's a big clue as to who, what we're talking about. Uh, when David first became king, he had to uh, actually recapture Jerusalem. And that word camped, your Bible may say dwelt, or it may say besieged, right? Because that's what he had to do. He had to lay siege against his own capital city to recapture it. We're going to read real quick, 2 Samuel 5, verse 6. Because what had happened is the city had fallen into the hands of the Jebusites, which were a, a Canaanite tribe. So 2 Samuel 5, verse 6, it says, Now the king, David, and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, You shall not come in here, but the blind and lame uh, will turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And it goes on from there. But so the, for some, they, they kind of debate, is, is Isaiah or is the Lord talking about Jerusalem here? We're going to go with the assumption that he is, and later I, I think we'll see it's pretty clear that's what he's talking about. So go back to Isaiah 29, verse 1. He says, Woe, O Ariel, Ariel, the city where David once camped. Add year to year, observe your feasts on schedule. And we talked last week about how uh, the, the people in Isaiah's time, he, he pointed out that they had kind of grown bored with their faith. And he's, he's pointing it out again. Look, you keep all of the feasts at all the right times. And you're keeping all the traditions that are required of you. But God's not impressed, right? He says, you're, yeah, you're doing this stuff year after year, but there's a problem. Verse 2, he says, I will bring distress to Ariel. And she will be a city of lamenting and mourning. And she will be like an Ariel to me. So he's using this word over and over. I think he's using both meanings 
or both definitions in that sentence. He's saying, I'm going to bring trouble to Jerusalem, the, the mighty lion of God, right? And they're going to become like a burnt altar to me. Because fire is, uh, fire can be good or, or bad depending on where it is, right? And whether it's, whether it's contained or not. Because fire in the right place is a good thing. If, if it's in the stove or the fireplace, keeps you warm, helps you cook, it's a good thing. In the wrong place, it burns down a forest, it burns down a house, it, it injures, it's destructive. And so he's, he's saying, you know, this, uh, this altar that should be a place where you can warm is actually going to be a place of destruction, a place of pain. I'm just, I don't know, I'm reminded that a lot of our, uh, a lot of our problems that we struggle with over and over are, are, weak, are strengths that got out of balance. Um, Pastor Scott over in Albion used to always talk about that, that a, uh, a weakness is a strength that's out of balance or it's not contained, right? So like, um, if you're good with your money, you're frugal, that's good. And when, when it gets out of balance, you're a cheapskate, that's bad, right? Uh, if if uh, you are uh, a good disciplinarian with your kids, that's good. If it gets out of balance, it can be it can become, you know, abusive or destructive. Uh, and so, an altar, hearth is good. You keep warm by the fire. Uh, that's a good thing. A burnt altar, not so good, right? It's a source of pain and destruction. It's not functioning the way it's supposed to. And so that's uh, that's what he says here. He says you're going to go from being the lion of God, this beautiful, uh, you know, crown jewel to just a burnt altar. Verse 3 says, I will camp against you, encircling you. And I will set siege works against you. And I will raise up battle towers against you. Then you will be brought low. From the earth you will speak. And from the dust where you are prostrate, your words will come. Your voice will also be like that of a spirit from the ground. And your speech will whisper from the dust. So basically, he says, I'm going to bring you so low, right? I'm, I'm going to humble you so low that uh, it'll, when you talk, the dust will blow, uh, you know, from the air of, from your lips. But you notice, remember when David, he had to besiege Jerusalem. He had to encircle it. And God says, now I'm going to have to do that same thing. I'm going to have to allow that to happen again. Verse 5, he says, but the multitude of your enemies will become like fine dust. And the multitude of the ruthless ones, like the chaff which blows away, and it will happen instantly, suddenly. From the Lord of hosts, you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise, with whirlwind and tempest and the flame of a consuming fire. And the multitude of all the nations who wage war against Ariel, even all who wage war against her and her stronghold, and who distress her will be like a dream, a vision of the night. So he's kind of, he's describing 
the things that we've studied the last four or five weeks, right? Some of the things that happened in the last days. Verse 8, he says, It will be as when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating. But when he awakens, his hunger is not satisfied. I can't help it while I was reading that. All I could think about was that joke about, you know, I dreamt that I ate, ate a giant marshmallow and woke up and my pillow was gone. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No bearing, no relevance whatsoever. Uh, Behold, he is eating, but when he awakens, his hunger is not satisfied. Or as when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, but when he awakens, behold, he is faint, and his thirst is not quenched. Thus the multitude of all the nations will be who wage war against Mount Zion. So, a little bit confusing, but he describes a time when Israel's enemies are going to seem, it's going to seem like the whole world is against Israel, or against Jerusalem. And they'll be so close to destroying them, to destroying God's people, so close that they can taste it, but their thirst won't be quenched. Now, if you've been with us throughout our study of Isaiah, you know that that's something that we've, we've covered over and over, something that Isaiah keeps bringing up is, uh, something that some of the other prophets helped flesh out, and the book of Revelation really gives us detail. But Zechariah describes this uh, sequence of events. Uh, we're going to hit a couple verses there. See if this sounds at all like what Isaiah was describing. Zechariah 12, verse 3, he says, It will come about in that day, right, that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. A couple chapters later, chapter 14, verse 2, it says, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And if we read on, uh, when the Lord fights, uh, they're just blown away, right? They, they disappear like a bad dream when you wake up. So Isaiah, again, is, is touching on some of the, the last day's stuff. But we're going to go back to Isaiah 29, verse 9. He says, Be delayed and wait. Blind yourselves and be blind. They become drunk, but not with wine. They stagger but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured over you a spirit of deep sleep. He has shut your eyes, the prophets, and He has covered your heads, the seers. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which when they give it to the one who is literate, says, please read this, and he will say, I cannot, for it is sealed. And then the book will be given to the one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. And he will say, I cannot read. So Isaiah, he says, Isaiah's visions and his prophecies basically were not understandable to the people of his time. They just couldn't fathom that any of what he was saying would come to be. And you know, it's something we see echoed throughout Scripture is that that oftentimes the message of God, the, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross is foolishness to the world. Right? He says, 
he, he says, I'm going to shut your eyes, prophets, and cover your heads, seers. The, the wise people that you're used to turning to won't be so wise when it comes to the message of God. You know, we, um, we all have uh, different talking heads that we, we turn to. When I was a kid, uh, some of you remember, you know, Walter Cronkite, and when he was on TV, you better listen to what that guy had to say, or Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw and all those guys. Now it's, they might as well all be wearing clown makeup, as far as I'm concerned, because there's a good chance that, you know, the chances that you found the guy that's going to tell the truth are pretty slim, but... Um, but we all have uh, different voices that we listen to, right? Some different wise people that we turn to. And Isaiah says that when it comes to these things, there's a good chance that uh, the people you're turning to don't see this clearly. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Roger over the weekend um, I was a little frustrated with uh, when, when we're studying end time stuff, how confident some people are about they have it all figured out. And I'm like, the guy that has it all figured out definitely doesn't have it all figured out. And Roger pointed out that, uh, well, remember Jesus even said that he doesn't even know the day uh, you know, of his return, that all of that's just for the Father. Uh, so if your you know, uncle thinks he's got it figured out, I, I bet he doesn't, you know. Anyway, verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said, uh, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. That's like mechanical repetition. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. He says, basically, they're just going through the motions. They're repeating this. Their, their worship of me is just a mechanical thing. It's a thing that they just are doing out of habit. And that's, that language should sound pretty familiar, because that's how Isaiah opened this whole book, Right? That's how God spoke through Isaiah of the condition of the people and the hearts of the people in Isaiah's time. Back in Isaiah 1, uh, verse 11, he says, this is the Lord addressing the people of Israel. He says, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. And I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. This is where it really stings. He says, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Now it's funny, all those things that he brings up, those those were good things, right? 
Those festivals were good things. Those sacrifices were good things. But they, didn't, they weren't anymore when they became just mechanical. Just a thing that you do. And their hearts were far from it, he says. You know, the reality is uh, that's not unique to Israel by any chance, right? There are many people will come here on Sunday uh, and stand when everyone stands and sit when everyone sits and mouth the words and maybe even put some money in the offering box. Um, But it's lip service. There's no change of heart. And the reality is everyone who's here on Sunday is that person sometimes. There are moments when your heart's not in it. Moments when uh, you've been so busy that you're doing the thing without thinking about the thing, right? Without um, trying to apply it. I've had weeks like that where uh, I, you know, had church on two times on Sunday and then a, a Bible study on the, this one day and then, uh, you know, youth group another day and then another Bible study and another service and all that stuff. There's no time to apply any of that if you're so busy just cramming knowledge into your head all the time and never taking time to apply it. That's, you know, that's not what he's, he's after. That becomes a mechanical thing and not, uh, not a heart thing. Isaiah 29, verse 15. Because, you know, what the Lord's getting at, I think, is that uh, he's reminding them, hey, look, I already know that you're a hypocrite. I already know that you put on an, a, a mask, but you, I want you to take that mask off when you're with me. When you come to me, I want it to be real, right? Verse 15, he says, Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us, or who knows us? You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made would say to its maker, he did not make me? Or what is formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? Right, that's... That's done so much today. You know, I, I often say that I, I don't believe in atheists, right? Because I, th- I believe everyone knows there is a creator, knows there's a God, but we don't want to be accountable to him. So um, atheists will, you know, try to deny the existence of God because if there is a God, then, then I'm no longer God. I'm no longer the one in charge. Uh, and, and he's pointing out those same people, right, that uh, the, that which is made would say to its maker, he did not make me, right? Or uh, what is formed says to him who formed it, he has no understanding. But atheists will try to pretend that there's no God so that they're not accountable to him, and many Christians live as if they, there is no God because they, we just hope that God doesn't notice you know, what's going on uh, when nobody's around. And the 94th Psalm, verse 7, says this. It says, They have said, The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. Pay heed, you senseless among the people. And when will you understand, stupid ones? 
It always cracks me up when I see that. But, uh, for one, I know, I just, I'm convinced God definitely has a sense of humor. And Jesus has a sense of humor. There are times when you read in the New Testament with his encounters with the Pharisees and the Sadducees um, where if you read it with like a sarcastic tone, I think that's closer to what Jesus, <laughs> Jesus was doing with them, you know. Uh, but sometimes uh, the, the word is just pretty blunt and it's funny to me. Uh, when will you understand, stupid ones, he says. Uh, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? Even he who teaches man knowledge. Jesus put it way, way more simply in the New Testament, right? This is how he summed this whole thing up. In Luke 12, verse 2, he says, There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. So I don't read all that stuff to, to say, so you better be good for goodness sakes, right? Uh, that's not the point. The point is, the Lord is not the ignorant one in our relationship, right? He's fully aware of everything. So why would you pretend to be anything other than who you are and what you are before him? Because that's his greatest desire for us, is that there would be nothing between us, right? In the garden, when perfection on earth was Adam and Eve, uh, they were naked and unashamed, right? There was, there was complete transparency, Everything uh, that I am is right here, you can see. I'm not advocating that we go around naked, but, but that's the relationship God wants for us, right? Like, don't put on the mask, don't put on a face, don't put on a front. Whatever act it is you put on at work or with other people, I don't want that. I want you to be who you are with me. And why pretend to be anything else? Because I already know who you are and what you are. How many hairs are on your head, for that matter? So, yeah, the Lord is not the ignorant one in our relationship. But to, I really, I think we're all, <laughs> we're all like little kids with uh, chocolate all over our faces, pretending that we didn't get into the candy. You ever, you ever had that experience where you're like, hey, did you get into the cookies? And there's like crumbs all over and chocolate from ear to ear. And they're like, no. It must have been my sister, you know. Uh, I, I, I think that's how God feels sometimes with us, that we, we try to pretend when he would much rather us come to him and go, I, I got into the cookie jar again. And help, please help me. Help me wash this off. Help me get clean. As a matter of fact, when we lift our hands in praise, that's, in part, what we're doing, right, is the Bible says to lift holy hands, or well, our hands are never clean of our own accord, right? We're, our, our hands are always up to something they shouldn't be, but we lift our hands to him saying, you're the one that can make these clean. Just like when a little kid gets sticky, right, they come to, come to you and they're just, they do this, right? My hands are sticky, I need you to make them clean. That's what he wants for, with us. Anyway, so we'll read on. Isaiah 29, verse 17. 
Is it not yet just a little while before Lebanon will be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field will be considered as a forest? Here's that phrase again. On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Does that sound familiar? A time when the deaf will hear and the blind will see. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless will come to an end, and the scorner will be punished or finished. Indeed, all who are intent on doing evil will be cut off, who cause a person to be indicted by a word, and ensnare him who uh, adjudicates at the gate, and defraud the one in the right with meaningless arguments. So he says, in that day, God is going to restore Israel, and spiritual blindness and deafness are going to be a thing of the past. The wicked are going to be dealt with. Injustice is going to be done away with. All those things that he talked about for the last five or six chapters, he's again pointing out that there's a time coming when things will be set right. And I love that he points out, right, he, he, he gives us this list of, you know, the people who scorn the Lord, the people who, um, you know, defraud, the people who uh, injure and all this stuff. And then the, the last one on the list, and normally in Hebrew writing, that's the last thing on the list is the most important. And he says the ones that ha- cause meaningless arguments, the people that just want to argue. There will be no more of that. My 16-year-old son won't know how to act when that time comes, I think. Verse 22, he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not now be ashamed, nor shall his face now turn pale. But when he sees his children, the work of my hands in his midst, they will sanctify my name. Indeed, They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. So again, he's just describing this time when things are going to, you know, all the the promises he's made to Jacob or to Israel are going to come to be. Verse 24, though, he says, Those who err in mind will know the truth, and those who criticize will accept instruction. Those who criticize will accept instruction. Isn't it funny that the, the people who are most critical are usually the ones who cannot take criticism, right? If we don't guard our hearts, we can develop a a critical spirit, which is an expression you may have heard, but our opinions just tend to be more and more negative. And we, we get to a point where we see what is wrong first. That's been a problem for me my whole life because I, uh, you know, I've worked in quality control at times, and that's kind of your job, right, is to find what's wrong. And, and then, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of a negative Nelly anyway, so I always see what's wrong, what needs fixed. But that, when it gets out of balance, right, uh, most of our weaknesses are strengths that get out of balance, it becomes a problem. I remember I... I did this um, efficiency training years ago, and this guy was telling us a story about someone who had done training for him, and, and uh, 
he got so used to, you know, working on efficiency plans that he was watching his wife make his breakfast one morning and, and analyzed every movement and how much time she wasted. And she would, and rather than getting everything out of the refrigerator at once, she would go and grab one thing and then come back and then go and grab another thing. And, and, uh, and he let her know all the ways that he could make this process more efficient. And so they asked him, and they're like, well, did, did that work? And he was like, well, yeah, it used to take her 20 minutes to make my breakfast, and now I do it in seven. So, <laughs> yeah. The, the people most prone to that negative spirit, that critical uh, spirit, are those who have grown bored, right? The people that Isaiah was talking about last week. People who are keeping the traditions, giving lip service, but it's grown stagnant. That's a dangerous place to be in, to be in because as a, as a believer, what God calls us to is to pour ourselves out into other people, right? To put others ahead of yourselves, to, to love them, to uh, see to the needs of, the, of others, all those things. You're pouring yourself out into other people. But it are you pouring out of a, a fresh running stream that's constantly being renewed, or are you pouring out of a stagnant pool? Because the moment that you forget that you are, in fact, a hypocrite, that you're a sinner in need of grace, the moment you forget that you also wear masks sometimes, then you become part of the problem. Uh, and you're setting yourself up for trouble. I'm going to read one more passage, and we'll, we'll close it out. Next week, we'll get into, uh, well, I guess you'll just have to see next week. 1 Corinthians 10, um, we'll start in verse 6. Paul says this. He says, Now these things happened as examples for us. And these things, he's talking about everything in the Old Testament, specifically the Moses and the Exodus and all that, but anything that happened in the Old Testament, he says, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did and 23,000 fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. And all those are cool stories that we don't have time to get into tonight. But verse 11, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Paul's reminding us that these are the last days. We are the people upon whom the ends of the age have come. So, quit wearing masks. Right? All these examples in the Old Testament are there so you don't make the same mistakes. And so, um, yeah, hell is hot. Forever is a long time. And Mr. Hardware Store Guy, you're right. There are hypocrites in church. 
Uh, and I would rather go to church with hypocrites than go to hell with hypocrites, you know. Um, I just think it's something that uh, we all need to be reminded of, is who we really are. And I'm not saying that you're a terrible person or you're more broken than anybody else. But I, knew, I do know you're not any less broken than anyone else. And we all... Uh, we all need to have that uh, transparency between us and the Lord. And when you do, you'll find that uh, it's a much better place to be than wearing the mask. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you again for giving us, for preserving your word for us. And uh, when we study these, these things that were written down thousands of years ago, we, we realize that the hearts of people have not changed. The... the Scenery may be different, but uh, we're still the same. We still need you more than ever. And Lord, I just pray that um, you would help us to, to be more real with one another, to be more real with uh, our, our friends, our co-workers, our family. And through that, that we would be able to show more of you to them and they could see the love that you have for them. Lord, we pray for uh, your blessing on this church on your people and pray this in jesus name and we pray you come and come quickly and everyone said amen all right ready break